Well, friends, good being with you here in Grandfrey, Alberta, here at the Grandfrey Lines Church. Even as Rod says, we've had a lot of memories over the years gone by, and uh, it's funny sometimes in life that there are, you can have in one place your best and worst memories, right? I'll show a little bit of that as we get into some of our storyboard today. But I'm so glad you're all here today. And uh, as we think today, because uh, as Rod said, we work across Canada, in a sense that this COVID situation has created so much, what's the term? Chaos and confusion nationally and globally. And the same breath, as it's doing that in lives of Christ followers, it's doing that even more in those who aren't. And therefore, again, for us as a church family to be, I guess, salt and light in the midst of our own stuff, that God could use us in the midst of times such as this, I think it's it just so critical. In fact, the one song that, that got my attention this morning was, was this one he sang was this, you rescued me so I could stand and sing. Oh, man, that's, that's part of my journey. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. And uh, we're, we're just so glad that you are here today. Before I pray, I want to just kind of talk about today's uh, message. I've been blessed over the years to teach at a Bible college every spring, just before the, the kids graduate. These are our 20-year-old kids. And in the first year, they would say, well, John, if you'd speak on this topic for the day, and I'll be fine. And last year's it's been, John, pray about it, and let God lead you to speak to these kids, which has been delightful. But here was my thought, though. It went like this, Lord, if I only have one time to speak to these kids, what would I say for one day? That in some small way might impact them for the rest of their lives. How's that for a Holy Spirit audacious goal? That's been my, my goal with them. And therefore, in a sense, the same thought with you all here, only it was different. As Rod said that, well, back in my, this week at the morning, we usually go for an early, early morning power walk, and then it's, it's Devo time. It's the, the power walk is really a prayer time. Then Devo is in, all, in my devotional time with journaling and prayer. And that's when I feel the most confident that I, that's not just me thinking something. But as I got up that morning, of all things, then it's working with some, some churches back east, which were having some challenges. God was putting Grand Prairie Church on my mind. Go figure. And my pen began to write out the actual message for today. I thought, well, this doesn't make sense to me. So three more days of journaling and prayer, and finally, you better call Grand Prairie Church. And I sensed on the third day that, that, that the Lord was mildly annoyed with me that I hadn't called yet. All right? Mildly annoyed. So here we are today at the Grand Prairie Alliance Church. Would you bow with me as we pray and then begin today's message? Lord Jesus, thanks for being so present today. And Lord, we know that each person who's here, that they have their own individual needs, their own individual strength, Father, and their own journey with you. So Lord, today, would you touch each one of us with a message from you to encourage us on as we walk with you, whatever that journey would be, wherever we are in that journey with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. How many of you here today are under age 30? Would you raise your hand if you're under age 30? Under 30s, raise your hands. All right, more, more than the first service. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're under, under age 45, would you raise your hands? Under 45? Wow. If you wish you were under 45, would you raise your hands? All right? There's a few of us, aren't there? We sense that, that today's message is for each one of us, but I think that in the opening commentary, the first five, six minutes, it's really for your under-30s crowd, right? So if you wouldn't mind, listen to up, and then the last third is kind of the, 
the, the, the, those two are grandparents or, or want, to, want to be grandparents, right? Is it kind of in that final part of today's message. But as we, as, as we open today, would you take your Bibles, please? Open to Philippians chapter 1, from verses 3 to verse 22, and hold it open on your lap, it's on your phone, or in, in your actual Bible, you know, you know, like a real Bible like I have here today, one of these kind, okay? Uh, but either way, if you would. And then at, at about the six-minute point, I'm going to ask Pastor Caleb to come up and read that portion. It's a pretty big portion, but it's actually very germane to today. As we think of today, today's world, can faith really work? How are you doing? Is your faith really working? Because, friends, that's the bottom line right now. And wherever, wherever we, 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 we go right now, the scent of chaos with COVID... And then on a second vein, the fact that there's now a move of what we would call the progressive church movement. And if you're not sure what that means, ask Pastor Caleb or, or your pastors and elders, they'll tell you what it is. But in a one-liner, it means this. This Bible is simply a narrative. It doesn't really say what it says. And that I c could not agree with whatsoever because it does say what it says. And that's why today... I want to look at the Apostle Paul's life. I mean, it's what a journey. And see, did his faith really work? Can that same faith work for you and for me in Grand Prairie, Alberta, October 31, 2021? And my premise is, is, that, is that it does, but let's do some homework on it. Therefore, I want to first start then with talking about Apostle Paul's young years as, as Naaman was Saul until his conversion of faith in Christ. He grew up in a his first years were in a place called Tarsus, a little place in, in Sicilia, which is today it's modern-day Turkey. Age 10, his parents moved to, to Jerusalem. And then simply, simply looking at history of the Jewish life, at age 12, he would have had his bar mitzvah, moving from young, uh, from a young kid to young adulthood, a very important time in a child's life in that culture. I think it should even be that today as well for us, who are Gentiles or, or not Jews. Then in grade six and seven, it would have been his next important stage, which was, would he become an academic or a tradesperson or a working guy? And therefore, his parents and his teachers would then decide how that would unfold. How about that, eh? Grade six and seven, you would then know what your future would then look like in your career path. How about that? Well, then we then move on from there, and, that, and I'm making an assumption right now that age, let's say, 16 to 20, he's not finished high school. And he's now, in a sense, uh, working on a post-high school degree. And it's really on, uh, let's say, um, the Jewish faith and the, old, and the, old, and, and the Torah, or, or faith and life in the, in the Jewish world. And then we actually come across him again at age 20. We're now from age, age 20 to age 30. He's being mentored by Gamaliel, a renowned scholar of his era, a John Stott, a J.I. Packer of our world today. Uh, came out of three generations of renowned scholars and, and, uh, and, and leaders of thought and life in, in the Jewish faith. In fact, he was the chair of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council at that time. And somewhere in that time, he comes across this fellow named Saul, takes him under his wing for a 10-year mentoring run. Can you imagine that? Gamaliel probably lived with him those 10 years. So then in 10 years, young Saul becomes like his mentor, of course, in 10 years. And then at age 30, we find this, that the, uh, 
Commentarians say this. The 30-year-old guy now named Saul, very bright guy, very full of himself. He thinks he's God's gift to the, the, the Jewish culture. Great orator. And, of course, as I said, very smart. And so that's kind of his story. And, and, and at that point in time, that under Gamaliel, it's like his career is now set as a scholar, teacher, leader of Jewish faith at age 30. So in other words, I'm saying that, think of, of him then in, in the context of the Grand Prix. You don't finish your trade school or university, whatever it would be, or, or as a prof. And now at 30, you bought your first very nice house. You bought your first brand new SUV. And you just got your 80-inch 80 80 high-definition Samsung television set. And life is really going according to plan. I'm not saying it's bad. But that would kind of be, in a sense, a, a comparable. Because now, at age 30, Saul is set for a life of making things happen in his world. And then it, there's this amazing story. He then goes to the high priest and says to the high priest, would you give me the authorization on writing to go and find and basically persecute or kill Christians? The high priest does it, which means that in that world, young Saul had a lot of influence. Now, we find him on the road to Damascus from Jerusalem with, with his team of thugs doing this very thing. And suddenly, as you know, this amazing bright light from heaven comes on down. They're knocked to the ground flat on their faces. And Saul's men hear a voice, but they can't decipher what's being said. But boy, but Saul can. He goes like this. He's he, he, he actually hearing the voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul is flat, flat down on the ground. He can't move. Finally, the, 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 the light lifts. They'll stand up. And here we find, as, as you would know, Saul is now blind. He can't see his friends then walk him into Damascus, into a house on Straight Street. Imagine that in the Bible, even gives the address. It's house on Straight Street. There he is. We find then for the next three days, there is Saul, blind. And I'm convinced that by day two, the, the dark night of the soul will set in on his life, saying, uh, God, above who I believe in. I mean, I was going this direction. You stopped me. I didn't believe in Jesus, but yet that's the one who spoke to me. Oh, man, my life doesn't make any sense right now. Where do I go from here? At the same time as this is happening, the Lord then talks to a man whose name is Ananias and says to him, I want you to go to this house on Straight Street. Again, the right address. I want you to see this man named Saul. I want you to pray over him, heal him of his blindness. I want you then to share a bit of, of my journey for him and then baptize him. And Ananias says, no, no, not going there. This guy is way too dangerous. And the Lord says, yes, you're going. And guess what he goes? He finds him on Straight Street, right? The right address. Lays hands on him, prays over him. And as if scales leave Saul's eyes, and he can suddenly see with full eyesight once again. And Ananias then talks to him a bit about the calling upon his life. With, 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 with the Lord. And then he's baptized. Can you imagine this? In three days, from being a person out to get Christians, now being baptized by Christ's follower. Amazing. It's, it, that's why, I mean, I kind of felt for this guy right now. Then, uh, then it kind of goes silent for three years where now the Lord takes Saul out into the Persian desert. 
for a three-year time of, in a sense of learning all about him in this private school with him and his Lord. He then comes back on the scene at age 33 and then begins his teaching ministry. But friends, look at this though, when you think of it. His first 30 years in one direction, I mean, set for, with, for life. Now he's gone for, for three years, he comes back, knowing that God has had called him, right? That he's supposed to, supposed to preach the message of Christ to the then known world, right? And then from age 30, 33 to age 60, excuse me, from until age 60, that's what he does. And you know what? It's tough. Nothing like this first 30 years. Because in, the, in those next 30 years, he's hated. In fact, those who he was persecuting are now, are now persecuting him, right? He's been shipwrecked, he's been stoned, he's been left for dead. And yet, he's called of the Lord to lay down his life with, it, with this ministry of, of hope in Jesus. Never realizing that down the road, we'd be talking about it some 2,000 years later. But at that point in time, he had no idea of this at all. But just that he'd been called by Jesus, who, uh, he, who had laid down his life for him. And now I'm saying, okay, if that's the case, I'll lay down my life for him as, as my way of, of doing my life. So now, in Philippians chapter 1, as Caleb comes to read it right now, you're going to notice this. I, I should, I'm sorry. Here's my question of you now. Listen as he reads it. Because that as we read, as Paul is writing this, how's, how's he doing? I mean, his life is upside down. It's not gone, gone according to plan at all. So what's happening inside of Paul? Because here's why. Things happen to us that God may work in us, that God may work through us. The six words I, I want you not to forget. To us, in us, through us. Things happen to us that God may work in us, that God may work through us. So now, friends, what's happening inside of Paul? Listen as Caleb reads to us, please. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, 
but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Thank you so much. Friends, just think. Here he is, age 60. It's moved toward the end of his life. All you'd have to do is, is talk to the jailer or to the, the high priest and say, hey, you know what? I really don't believe this after all. And he would have become a hero in, in, the, in the Jewish world then, and his life would not have been taken as a martyr. But here we find Paul in prison, right? For his faith. I mean, talk about an upside-down world. Now, here's, here's my question of you, though. Go back to verse number 3-4. And Paul says this, I always pray with joy. Are you kidding? I think he's in prison. Is he not? Got down to verse number 14, where he said that um, it's become apparent to the entire palace guard that I'm in, in chains for Christ. Wow. Chained between two guards, 24-7. And then, then over to verse number 20, I said before, he's been through so much in these years. I mean, he's showing his age right now, right? And it, it, this has not been easy on his very being to be shipwrecked, to be beaten, to be stoned, to be left for dead. But then he says that in verse number 20, saying, oh God, may I have sufficient courage to face whatever comes. Paul? Oh man, he's, he, 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 he just, he's been through so much. And then last of all, in verse 21, 22, which is such an amazing statement here. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. If I go on living in the body, and this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Either way, I win. So friends, here is my, my question of you then. Looking back at what we're reading. Verse number three, where he says, I always pray with joy. Well then, really, is, is, is Paul really joy-filled or is he really sad? What, what do you sense there? Joy-filled or sad? Anybody? Talk to me. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Then down in verse number 14, and he's in chains there between two guards, 24 7. Is, is he, I mean, is he okay or is he really, really depressed? How's he doing? Anybody? He is. He, he's more than okay, guys and gals. Then over there on verse 20, we talked about having sufficient courage. Does he have courage or is he scared silly? You're right on. He has great courage. And then he says, to live or to die, it, it's okay. Is Paul afraid of death or is he at peace with death? Right on. All right? So friends, that to think again that his first 30 years in one direction, 
it's going up to the right. Last 30 years, it's gone this way. And to think that those, again, who were his friends are now his, his persecutors. Those he would have taught before are now there to take his life away. And friends, you don't find a thing in there about poor me, or being angry or, or bitter, or, or being, feeling bad about his life. I'm going to pull us then to right now, friends, to kind of to the year of 2021, and grab this little chair to, to share a story with you. How did this apply today, right here in Grand Prairie? In the middle of COVID, where it's impacting all of us, and our pastors in a big way. So everybody, pray for your pastoral staff and your elders. These are, 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 it's tough on you. I think it's even tougher on them because they have to, have to lead the church. But some, many years ago, we actually lived here, right? I was an elder in the church. I was in my 30s. My wife was just barely 30. Had two boys, nine and six. We were in, in Grand Prairie's business world and lived on a, on a grain farm over on the edge of Bear Lake. And life was really pretty neat. And he'll be involved here with uh, Pastor Del McKenzie of that era in the arena of evangelism. And there's some great stories of, of back then. And again, as I said, life was great. And then on a New Year's Day, hit by a drunk driver, but changed our lives to this very, very, very day. But here's the irony that um, at that time, we had two boys who were nine and six. Byron nine and Brent six. And just days before this car wreck on New Year's Day, Byron had actually hosted and led the, 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 the kids' Christmas pageant at the church. And as parents, we were really proud of this kid. But now as we were having been hit by a drunk driver, okay, and the lights were upside down. Now, my wife, Lorraine, she was the one who, who was the best off. Her face was cut to ribbons and a few broken ribs, but she was alive. And then our little guy, Brent, in grade one, he had a tremendously bad head lacerations and then a badly broken hip, so he spent the rest of grade one in a body cast, a little kid in grade one in a body cast. And, um, uh, and, and for dear Byron, at nine, now he was in this very, very dark, deep coma, right? And, and, and for myself, that um, nobody thought I would live, and I, I woke up, and apparently I was starting to breathe. And I had a friend by my bed saying, John, we thought we'd lost you last, and here you are. Oh, okay. But then they brought in my in-laws and my mom to my bedside, and they were a mess. They were just all teared up. But I looked pretty bad, but I could hear all, all that was being said entirely. But I could not reach them. But I just knew I was being, being held by Jesus. So I, I was fine at that point in time. Not so fine afterwards, but fine right then. And then they left, and I remember actually praying for them, right? That they'd be okay, not realizing our storyboard as a young family. And then, but sometime later, a man was in my room who I, I knew of, a Christian man, and somebody got past the, the security, and he got, he got into our son Byron's room in ICU. And he said, I saw your son Byron. He's on life support. He won't make it. Okay? And he said, John, you look horrible. You won't make it either. And with that, he left. He kind of laughed a sardonic laugh and left the room. And I remember in my drugged up mind thinking, well, I guess this guy doesn't like me very much. Right? But so it was but not realizing that in what happened there on that occasion, down the road, I would give a little access point in my heart and life of hurt and bitterness that would begin to impact my life and my marriage going forward. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know it then. But finally, making a long story short, we uh, got home from the hospital, finally, right, a year later. Life was upside down in its entirety. 
often said that, um, you know, there's a, we'll watch a, a football game there, there, there was the end zone, there's a playing field. I couldn't even find the playing field, much, much like the end zone. And, but being a, a, an elder right in this church right here, right, and a Christ follower, it just seemed at that point in time that I couldn't really talk about where I was really at in my journey. So I soon began to have what I would term three faces. First phase was on Sunday morning, tell you I'm fine and you're fine, it's good to be fine. But I wasn't fine. Second phase was, was in the office. Well, guys, we're still surviving in our companies. Not good, but we're surviving. Let's work together and move forward. Third phase was at home when I lost about a five-hour day in the office. I get home and crash on the couch. And I got home this one day and Lorraine's making dinner and she said to me, John, you worry me. Why? You're getting so bitter. I said, well, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. And she said, in essence, we have lost one son right now. If a marriage doesn't last, what happens then to us? Well, I'm of Dutch heritage. I'm stubborn. It took me a couple of weeks to process that statement. And finally, on the early morning at 3 a.m., I found myself in the family room, falling to the ground, to the cupboard, on the floor. I began to weep uncontrollably. It went like this. Jesus Christ... Forgive me of my anger, of my hurt, of my pain, of my bitterness. And Lord, if life never makes sense again, if you'll walk with me, I'll walk with you. And friends, as if I heard him say at that point in time, I will be with you all the way. Life will not be easy, but I'll be with you. And you know what? I had a great sense of security. God was with me. Therefore, we could then move on and make life work. And these last, you know, 30 years, they have not been easy <clears throat> in certain ways. We still have, have a handicapped son at home, an adult. And yet, it's, it's made me, I guess, rest my life upon Jesus. Because you see, too often, it's like this. I can do it my way versus, Lord, I submit to your lordship of my life. I submit your call upon my life. Whether I'm a teacher, a, a, a banker, a nurse, I... It, I'm doing my work for you, whatever that would look like. But it's all about submission to his call upon my life and your life, day by day by day, right? Now, um, for some of you today, I'm quite convinced that your journey, whether in this whole COVID situation or life in general, there means some real bumpy parts to it. And you're saying right now, as, we're, as I'm sharing with you, that, John, what you talked about your own journey, mine kind of mirrors yours in a different way. And I, really, and I realize today, un unless I let this go and give it to Jesus, my, my future doesn't look that encouraging right now. So, friends, today, before we wrap up today, I'm going to say to you, Jesus knows your story. He knows your pain. He knows the stuff you're facing. But friends, he says this, if you'll lay it down to me, I will make something good out of those dark places. Now, you might even ask, well, if I really do pay the price for this and really make that change, will, it, will this show anywhere in my life going forward? Will I actually see something worth the, the energy? If you would, turn quickly in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, against Paul speaking. And go with me to verse number 15, where Paul says this, For we are to God 
the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. In fact, Prentice says this in the uh, Passion Bible, where Paul says this in using that translation, we have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of Jesus. Friends, this unmistakable aroma of Jesus. Before I had that time of Jesus, I no longer had his, his aroma. I think I stank. Right? At least I smell bad. Right? And that doesn't draw anybody, much less your family, your, your kids, those, those near, nearest and dearest to you. But then, as we give it all to him, again, we have become the unmistakable aroma of, of the victory of Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm saying to you today. As we give the pain and the hurts of our life to Jesus, at times those, those, those questions which are unanswerable, he says to us, I will give you a portion of myself that is most inviting, not only for those near you, but also those all around you. Um, two more quick stories here. We live in a, a city called Lake Country, just north of Clono, on an acreage. And um, we have an acre and a quarter blueberry farm, which is kind of a love-hate thing. And um, every summer, it's blueberry time for the month of July. And we have a, we have a great picking team that picks for us. And we, we sell berries to moms and dads. And they'll come and buy bulk sales from us. So, and this year was different in the sense that today being COVID, people wanted to talk. So we, get, we, we began to allow more time for people to talk when they would come down the driveway for the, the, their, their blueberries. So anyway, we finish up and... Um, it's one day, and there's two couples who've come for blueberries, and they're both school teachers with their young families. And our one little grandson was in grade five and six last year, and grade six, and both were his teachers. I talked to you how they got, how they got to our place. Well, I told them, if you want blueberries, come to our place, I'll get you some blueberries. So there they were. Well, we didn't know them from Adam. We finished the sale of blueberries, we're just chatting, and one teacher says to us, could we come back for a barbecue? to your place. He said, um, okay. He said, and by the way, he said, we'll pay for the food. He said, well, you wouldn't have to do that. So 10 days later, they're at a place for a barbecue, both couples, right? And we have a, a barbecue time together, and we, the kids are playing, and we then, they, have, they leave, uh, getting the, the kids home to bed. And the one teacher says to uh, us, you have no idea what this has meant to us. Well, we'd shared very gently about our journey. So anyway, uh, they leave and they, and they don't want to go. Well, the next morning, Lorraine texts the one teacher, kind of the leader of the, of the, of the pack, and said to him, I'm so glad you came out. If there's any way we, we, we can encourage you spiritually, call us. And, and then he, he, he fired back and he said, we're having to make decisions every day about curriculum right now. And, and, and bear in mind, these are not Christ followers. But they are good people. And saying, we're having a hard time with that. And by being with you in the rain, we now have new clarity how, how we should be doing this. Really. And then said, when can we meet next with you people? We just want to hang with you guys. And afterwards, Lorraine said to me, John, Corinthians chapter 2, could that perchance be Jesus' aroma? Go figure. We weren't evangelizing anybody. But there they were. Let me finish up on, kind of on this same continuum. The last months have been amazing in this same vein, people, because of the needs around us, right? 
actually right behind right and coughing with people who have been calling us. Other one went like this. We, uh, it's evening, uh, restaurants are shut except for Denny's. We would run into town for, for coffee and the Denny's renowned lemon cheesecake. It's really pretty good. You should try it sometime. Have like a cup of decaf coffee and then go home. And this little Indo-Canadian girl was serving us. And she served us and she looked most unhappy. When I said to her, are you okay? She said, no, I'm not. She had dumped on us right there about her life. It really sucked, as she said. When I said, well, could we pray for you? She said, okay. So we, we actually prayed for her. Said amen, we paid the bill, and, and we tipped her well, went home. Ten days later, it's an evening, it's 8.30, we're heading back to town. Where are we going? Denny's. What are we going to have? Lemon cheesecake. We walk in. We watch Pratt, that's her name, walk with her purse over her arm. And she sees us, turns around, hangs up her purse, comes back and says to us, I just told the manager, I'm not leaving until I served you guys. I'll get your, your cheesecake and your fresh coffees. Fine. She, she comes back and serves us. As we leave then, she grabs hold of us both very emotively and says, guys, I need to see you. Could, we, could I be with you? And so then we're changing, exchanging phone numbers with her. And on Thanksgiving, she and her cousin were out at her place and for dinner. And there's this ongoing conversation with her. And here, here's the point. We were not evangelizing anybody, right? Using the four spiritual laws. Come sit down and talk to you. It was God by his aroma. His aroma. Drawing people with need at a time such as this in our country. That's in such a deep need and chaos doesn't even realize the only answer is Jesus. Our son Brent, we're very close to Prague. Our son Brent is a, uh, a counselor. He works with the Teen Challenge in our city. And uh, about a, a couple months back, he came home the one day. He was actually, did, Brent doesn't cry. He was teary eyed that day. And he said, Mom and Dad, guess what? He lives in a, in a carriage house. And he said, uh, One of my guys was used to be part of, I won't even say the gang he was with, and he was in force through the whole deal. So all Brent's guys have been in prison. And of course, none of them have ever had a dad. Never had a dad. He's not 36. He's a great big muscle tattooed dude. I met him after that time. Looks scary. Hate to see the guy at nighttime. Anyway, Brent was with him, walking through the journey of helping him stay sober. And then finally, at one point, he felt like he was ready for it. He began to take him to Jesus, right? Have Jesus speak truth and love and life into his life. So Brent's praying, and all of a sudden, this big guy starts to weep. And he says to Brent, Brent, guess what? Jesus just told me he loves me. He'll never leave me like my dad did. He'll always be with me. And as Brent came home that day, and we talked and shared, and he said this, you know, Dad, I keep saying to my guys, any good counselor can diagnose the problem. Only Jesus can heal a problem. So friends, whatever your story is, if you leave today, for some of you, you're walking through a very heavy time. For some of you, in a sense that you're facing stuff you've never really wanted to deal with. But you know what? It's time. If there are hurts in your life today or, or anxieties or fears or even bitterness, you've got to put it behind because then God can use you in ways you never thought possible. And friends, as we go into a prayer time right now, I, make, I have one, one caveat. If perchance you were a, a person who was sexually abused, say to you, you have to forgive. You do. As hard as that may be. But trust comes differently. It must be earned. So don't equate forgiveness and trust in the, in the same line. 
all right? But would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me, if you would, please, right now. Heads bowed, if you would, please. Eyes closed. Here's my question this morning. Are the things in your life that you're knowing are just not going that well? You realize that only Jesus can heal those broken places. But it'll take an act of, of your will to say, yes, Jesus, I now surrender this situation to you. That, that's, that's been a pain point for a short term or for a long time. And Lord, if, if you'll touch me and bring me healing, I'll walk with you like crazy. I mean, I'll have your aroma on my life that'll change everything going forward. Friends, you're saying, in one sense, this in a sense is who you are. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. If God is saying to you today, I want you to address some stuff in your life you really haven't wanted to address. It's so painful. Would you lift your hand and say, and so doing, say John, pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Oh, I see those hands. Yes, I do. I see many hands this morning. Thank you. I see your hands. Right side, left side, in the middle here. Anybody else? Yes, in the back. Thank you. Don't leave. In the back again here, please, friends. Do not leave today carrying this burden with you. Please don't do that. Thank you. Jesus wants to carry this burden for you. You can't carry it. It's too heavy. It's way too heavy. So if we could, if we could do this, let me pray for you. And, and uh, let me just pray a couple lines of a prayer for you. And you, and you, you, you just pray it quietly if you would like to. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I bow before you. I acknowledge my sin. Name it. Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sin. Take control of my life. Make me the person you want me to be. And now, fill me with your spirit. This day on. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, if you, if you did that willingly, the next years ahead for you are going to be remarkable, right? Second prayer, and then we'll wrap it up. COVID has done a number on us in general. And we've just seen that in, in our work that many of our Christian friends, they've gotten flatlined in their Christian faith. They haven't left the faith, but they flatlined. And therefore, the aroma of Christ is pretty hard to show itself when we flatline, isn't it? We just smell like everybody else. And therefore, today, if you're saying to, to right now, John, you know, I know Jesus, but I know I don't smell that good. I kind of flatlined all the pain of stuff all around me. If that's your story, friends, right, let me pray with you that, that, that Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, will then refill you with, with his spirit, right? As you give him everything for, this, for today and all of your, your tomorrows. Let's pray. I'll hold it back up here. Sometimes just to acknowledge it can be such a big thing for us even going forward. Therefore, before I pray, if that reflects your life, would you lift your hand and say, John, I need Jesus' aroma upon my life. Would you raise your hands, please? Anybody across this audience? Oh, my goodness, yes. Yes. All across here. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, how I need you. Lord Jesus, 
I know I flatlined, and that, that changes now. Lord Jesus, today, for, forgive me for, for, for not acknowledging that sooner. But Lord, right now, refill me with your spirit. Because I leak. And make me the person you want me to be. As Rod comes to close this morning, friends, here would be my request of you. In, the, in these unusual times of chaos and change, as people leaving to go home or head out for a coffee, if God has spoken to you, please, 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 come this way and perhaps somebody pray with you. And it was to drive your stake deep in the ground for what God has been saying to you, he wants to do in and through your life. Thank you so much. You've been a great audience.